0: You are listening to audio from Victory Church. To check out more
1: resources or to support the work of the ministry, visit victoryballotin.org. All right. Well, I've got a couple of names for you this morning. If you want, close your eyes if you'd like to participate. I've got a few names and I would like to uh, I would like for you to consider what kind of things come to your mind when I say these names, all right? Adolf Hitler uh, Mao Zedong Joseph Stalin All right. Open your eyes back up. Interesting thoughts arise when you hear three names like that, huh? Uh, these are some of the greatest enemies to humanity, I would I would argue, in the last uh, century. It's amazing to consider these guys were in power really within the last hundred years. It's quite incredible, quite remarkable. I mean, as it goes for accomplishing negative things, these guys did some pretty atrocious things in their lifetimes and, and under their power. Um, under Hitler, uh, just in Germany... It's estimated that, that Hitler and the Nazis killed 11 million, 6 million of those being Jews. Um, but really, the overall casualties from World War II that, that Germany really sparked was uh, about 60 million is the estimate. 60 million people died as a result of World War II. Mao Zedong, less known compared to Hitler, but uh, his activities equally atrocious as he ascended to power in China. And pursued a socialist China. Uh, It's estimated that 65 million were killed under his reign. If we could get that buzz out of my mic. I don't know if that's just up here. But that would be super. Um, Mao was especially brutal towards those who would disagree with him. To those that he perceived to be his enemies. Uh, It is estimated that 46,000 Chinese scholars that opposed Mao were buried alive. Yeah, you could go on and on. Joseph Stalin had his own horrific feats. What's my point? We live in a world that's got good guys and bad guys. Pretty simple, right? Somehow, in the hearts of some people, people great evil can arise. What do we call those people? Enemies. Enemies. They form many enemies. But enemies, the, the dynamic of enemies is not limited to, to people like those Um I would argue that all of us, in some form, have some enemies. All of us have enemies. Uh, if you can't think of any right now, some of you know, it comes right to mind who your enemies may be. If you can't think of any, then I'm going I'm to gaslight you a little bit this morning. I'm going to help you think of who your enemies might be before we talk about what Jesus had to say about enemies. Maybe you have some personal enemies Um, Maybe it's a parent who wronged you and and made many mistakes. Maybe it's a sibling or a relative of some form. Uh, Maybe it's a friend that betrayed you at some point in life, lied about you. Maybe it's a neighbor. Some of us have pesky neighbors, huh? Maybe it's a coworker that just keeps causing you issues and you, you have trouble putting up with and seems to be against everything that you stand for in the workplace. Or maybe it's, maybe you're a business owner and there's competition and uh, you have formed an enemy dynamic in your business. Those are some of the personal things. There are many more that's not all encompassing, but it could be a, a larger scale. Um, most of us find ourselves at some point in life on one side or another of a larger scale debate or movement or issue. Um, it's 2024. It's an election year. Uh, many of us would say there are enemies whether we are red or blue. Whatever color we feel represents us best perhaps. If I say a name like Joe Biden or Donald Trump, most people find an enemy between those two names right now. It's a fascinating dynamic. Maybe it's, maybe it's anyone who would, for you, someone who would fly a rainbow flag, or maybe it's an organization um, like Black Lives Matter, Antifa, Proud Boys, Planned Parenthood. Anybody getting some triggers this morning from all the things I'm listening off? Am I doing an okay job of getting everybody riled up? All right. There are many, many enemies. Some would say it's a car dealership. Darren Lockwood has never had anyone upset with them, have they? No, no. No one gets upset with car dealerships. It could be anything. Unfortunately, there are are two major players in the enemy realm, I would argue. Two things that we engage in life that bring up enemies for us. It's so unfortunate that the first one is politics. Politics creates a lot of enemies. The second one is religion. Religion creates a lot of enemies. And as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we are not void to this situation, to this dynamic. We have enemies. Because of that, Jesus had some really important things to say and to share with his followers about enemies. And before we dive into that, that's our title this morning, by the way, Jesus on Enemies. Uh, Let me do a quick review of of where we're at. It's important, the context that we're in. We're going through a series on the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going week by week on on titles that are Jesus on, fill in the blanks. So we've done Jesus on blessed, Jesus on salt and light, Jesus on anger, Jesus on high standards. Uh, And and we're going through these and and considering the the teachings of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, which I would argue is the greatest uh, public speech that anyone's ever given. It's been... World-changing in its impact. It's been incredibly studied and impactful to our lives, whether we know it or not. This week, we're going to look at what Jesus had to, to share about enemies from Matthew five, forty-three through 48. So if you've got your Bibles, I encourage you to open up. Maybe you have a Bible on your phone and you want to open up your Bible on your phone. Uh, otherwise, some of the scriptures we'll go through today are going to be on the screen as well. Matthew five forty three through forty eight. This is what Jesus said. You have heard it. You have heard that it was said, "You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy." But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous. And the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. If you greet only your brother, what more are you doing than the others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Now, last week, as we talked about Jesus on high standards, we sort of covered some of the context of this verse. So if you didn't hear that, go back. And what Jesus is focusing on here in this context is he is pointing to people's hearts. Uh, We talked about how Jesus is pointing us towards alignment, not to our own initiatives, not to our own desires, but alignment to the heart of God. Jesus is not... Primarily uh, concerned with our external appearance. Um, He is concerned about having clean hands and a pure heart. Before God. That is the measure as disciples following Jesus that we are to follow. Jesus strongly rebuked, and Mindy spoke about this well again this morning, strongly rebuked the Pharisees and scribes and religious leaders due to their misplaced motivations for righteousness. They were far more interested in what the outside of their lives looked like than what they really were like on the inside and what was really motivating them. The, the truth is, and, and we can't miss this. We cannot miss this. If, if you hear one thing today, this may be the most important thing. Uh, God isn't primarily seeking behavior modification. God is seeking heart modification. Amen? God's not looking for you to put something nice as a shell on for the outside. God's not looking for your displayed behaviors to change. God wants to see your heart change. And be made pure and righteous. That you can live holy before him. And as your heart changes, I promise you, your behavior will come along and change. That is our mission as disciples of Jesus. To have hearts that are made pure and clean before God. That we could be made righteous before him. And that others would see it and glorify God and, and would desire to come to him through it. So our text, Matthew 5, 43 through 48. Let's go through it a little bit. Um, we're going to go down and break down verse by verse. I don't often do this, but we're going to go verse by verse and just talk about the context, what Jesus is talking about, and what some of the cultural implications might have been when Jesus shared this. So verse 43, you've heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's where Jesus started here. So the phrase, you shall love your enemy, Jesus is directly quoting Leviticus 19. Uh, This is in the law that the people listening would have been very familiar with. They were very familiar with this portion of scripture that we have as the first five books of our Bible that's called the Torah. And, and the Jewish people were were actually they would memorize it. The boys would memorize it as they grew up, and and learn to apply it to their life. But there were some misapplications that were going on. So that first phrase, "You shall um, you shall love your neighbor," that's a direct quote. But then there was this added phrase, "and hate your enemy." Now, hate your enemy had been added in the oral law. So as tradition went on. God established the law through Moses. You'll see it early in your Bible in Exodus, Le, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. God established the law, and then there were religious teachers who would help apply the law. Somehow, they had taken uh, the law, and they had put a few parts away that talked about love for enemies. And they had come up with this phrase that was very common. Love your neighbors, hate your enemies. The people would say that all the time in, that, in those days. Love your neighbor, hate your enemies. Hate your enemies. There were a lot of enemies and opportunities just like we have today to hate enemies. Two key things that that happened that we've got to look at. First, uh, the religious leaders over time had actually narrowed the definition in the law of what neighbor meant. They'd made it very, very narrow where people could look up and say, all right, this person's my neighbor. This person's my neighbor. This type of person's my neighbor. Everyone else, they fall into the enemy box. Pretty convenient. Jesus clearly corrects that perspective throughout his life. Um, if, you, if you are familiar with uh, the, the parable Jesus gave of the good Samaritan, you know that Jesus spoke very clearly to who our neighbor is. And our neighbor essentially is everyone, even our enemies. Jesus brought in the scope back out um, from what the religious leaders had done. Second... Uh, The same religious leaders over generation had somehow created this common understanding that um, love your neighbors, but hating enemies, that was permissible. That was fine. You could do that. That was godly. Somehow they had uh, elevated this hate for enemies. It was nowhere in the law. They had misinterpreted some things, and uh, and they had started applying this to their lives. There was a lot of hate for enemies going on among these people that Jesus was speaking to. But if you go through the Old Testament... Uh, you can look. You'll, you won't find anywhere in the Bible that says hate your enemies. Just not there. Not in there. Next verse, 44. Jesus is, Jesus is adding a statement. He does this a number of times. He said, you've heard it said, but I say to you. And this is, this is one of those moments. He said, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So Jesus flips the understanding of the law in his head. And calls them radically to love for their enemies. And we're going to talk more about what that love might look look like. And then he, he gives a bit of a peek into how do you love your enemies. He says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, he's not saying pray for their demise. I'm sorry, he's not. He's not saying pray that they find some hair in their food. That's not in there. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying, pray that they fall through the little bit of ice that's left on Yankton. By the way, I don't know if, if the guy who's been fishing out here, I, I heard he was out yesterday morning fishing on Yankton. I don't know if you are here, but I just got to say you are bold. Whoever that is that was fishing on Yankton yesterday, bold move. I hope you are catching a lot of fish. Um, Jesus is not saying pray for anything like that. Jesus is actually saying, pray that your enemies would be blessed. That's what he's saying. So, who are enemies? Let's let's touch on it real quick. Who are enemies? We listed some earlier that might fit in your category. Uh, a better technical definition though, without going through examples, would be anyone who holds a position of general or direct opposition to your interests, beliefs, or actions. I would say those people fall into the category of enemies. Anyone who holds general or direct opposition to your interests, beliefs, or actions, they can easily fall into the category of enemy. Now remember, we talked about this last week. Jesus is quite brilliant. Now it sounds really simple when he says, pray for your enemies. That, that was his instruction here. Pray for your enemies. Jesus is quite brilliant in this. Um, we know this, and we'll come back to this. When when he says, pray for them, Jesus knows that when we pray for someone, our hearts actually align to God's heart. If we if we look, and we're going to look at this in a few weeks, um, of, of what Jesus said about prayer in, in, in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, he says that we pray... Uh, God, your kingdom come, and your will be done. There's an element when we pray that we are aligning what our desires are with God's desires. So Jesus was really brilliant here to say, pray for your enemies. That would have been unheard of for these people listening. Absolutely unbelievable that Jesus would come as a rabbi and say, it's time to pray for your enemies. Moving on then, um, where are we at here? Verse 45. So, uh, love your enemies, he says, pray for those who persecute you. And then he says this key, key set of words, so that. I think about so that means there is a purpose in loving your enemies and praying for them. There's a purpose, and he's going to share what the purpose is here. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the and the unrighteous. So Jesus gives us a why. Why love your enemies? Why pray for them? It's this purpose. So that we can be sons and daughters of our Father in heaven. So there are high high stakes here. To be a son or a daughter of your Father in heaven, Jesus is saying, love your enemies. Love your enemies. Now, Jesus uses a few phrases here that, that people wouldn't really use today to describe what he's trying to say. So I want to I talk through what he's saying when he says he causes the sun to rise on evil and the good and to send rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So when he says God the Father causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, here's what he's basically saying. God has the power. That power the sun would not rise on your enemies. God actually has that power. Now, if you're not getting what I'm saying yet, God, he's saying God has the power that your enemies could be destroyed. God actually holds the keys. But he's saying, that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven, for he is causing the life to be sustained for both the good and the evil. Sometimes we think that God is on sides. And God does have some sides. But we think, man, God is really on my side. And, and the issue that I'm having. And God really isn't on my enemy's side. Now that might be true. But Jesus is is reminding us. And really brilliantly here. Hey, the sun came up for both you and your enemy. God loves you both enough. <laughs> that today you are both still breathing. And he holds those keys and that power. And he actually goes on, and and this this next statement is actually more earth-shattering for the people listening. Here's why. He goes on, he says, he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Now, we tend to think, imagine a summer day, you're planning to go out to the lake, you're going to have a lake day, and it rains. All right, generally we tend to think, when rain comes, unless you're a farmer, you're like, okay, this messes up our plans. This is not great. In this time, rain was seen as an incredible blessing. So, so Jesus is saying, not only does God, God co- cause life to be sustained for you and your enemy, he actually pours out blessing on you and your enemy. That's the heart of God. Now, interesting here. When we talk about what side is God on? Now, there are many situations where we can say clearly, and I could really go down a list, and I'm not going to spend my time doing that, right? But I would argue, if we're going to give some description, I would say, I think that God is on the side of pro-life rather than generally pro-choice, right? There are two sides. That's, that's my perspective. That's most typical Christian, evangelical Christian perspective, and and I believe God wishes for life. And we could go down a list of issues that we see all around us, and I think I could say pretty well what side God is on, what side God is against. I could probably do that, and I could probably do a good 90% job of understanding and reading the scriptures and applying them correctly. I think if I hit 90% in understanding and all-wise, all-knowing God and his application to culture, I'd probably be doing all right. Um, But you know, there's something else going on here. There's this other dynamic outside of our enemy dynamic and structure that we could totally miss if we're not really paying attention to what Jesus is saying here. And and that is this. Number one, God is the ultimate enemy lover. I would argue no one has ever loved enemies like God has. And here's why. Did you know That you and I, wherever we stand today, and wherever we used to be, all of us at some point have been God's enemy. Scripture actually says this, Romans 5, 10, and 11. For if while you were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more... Having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Paul is reminding the church in Rome of this. Before Jesus died, you were his enemy. You were God's enemy. While you were a sinner far off from God, Literally, Paul describes as an enemy of God. Christ went to the cross and died for me and you. That we would have the opportunity to step out of enemy and into friend of a holy, righteous God. See, God is the ultimate enemy lover. That's what Jesus is saying when he says, uh, so that you may be sons of your father in heaven. When you hear that, think think about this. The context of what Jesus is saying is that God is sending a good gift in the life of Jesus to be a a blessing to his enemies. To rescue his enemies, people who are opposed to him. When you and I sin, when we fall short of the glory of God, we are enemies of God. And we are made righteous by the blood of Jesus. What an incredible gift. So then back to verse 46. Uh, for you, If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if, verse 47, if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Uh, the Message Bible, I, I feel, expresses this pretty well. And this is what it says. I feel like this is as good of an explanation of those two verses as, as we might need. message says this, if all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? Anybody can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, do you expect a medal? Any run of the mill sinner does that. Jesus is, is saying, if we just love our neighbors, the people who are nice to us and kind to us and get along with us and have the same set of beliefs, Anyone does that. There's there's no reward in that before God if we just love our neighbors. Excuse me. Jesus is saying, I'm calling you to something greater. To love your enemies. To bless those who curse you. And then verse 48, uh, Jesus says this incredible statement. Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Now, when you hear the word perfect here. That doesn't mean sinless in all of your history and all your future. It's not what this means. Think more of flawless. A better translation may be complete. Be complete as your heavenly Father is complete. Don't lack any characteristic of God, including love for enemies. Luke 6 actually has a parallel of this chapter of, of the Sermon on the Mount that you can read in Luke's account. And what Luke actually says, wrote here uh, and, and said is that Jesus, instead of saying, you are to be perfect, he said, you are to be merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful. Interesting in the context of enemies. That's in Luke 6, uh, 27 through 36, if you want to go back and look at that after today. So Jesus clearly instructs us as his disciples, love your enemies. Now some of, some of us already, and I and I do this often, we start to reconcile, okay, love my enemies. That sounds like something where I would <clears throat> put up with them. Anybody ever do that? Just put up with them, or maybe when, when they're really uh, coming against me strong, I'm going to say, you know what, God bless you, and I'm going to turn and walk away, and and just sulk on whatever's in my heart after I encounter an enemy. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is calling us to a love that is filled with action, with a heart of purity, with a God like love. This word for love here, when he says love your enemies, it's that word agape that some of us are familiar with. And agape has some great definitions out there, but there's no better definition to agape than if you were to read First Corinthians thirteen, four through eight. This is what Paul said to the church in Corinth. Think about this. I I want you to imagine an enemy in your life as I read this to you. And think about applying this to your enemy and how unbelievable this is. This is what Paul said Love is patient. That might be all I have to say. Toward our enemies, love is patient, love is kind, it's not jealous. Love is not brag and is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It does not take into. Whoa, I'm gonna have to read this really slow. Love does not take account of a wrong suffered. That's what Jesus is calling us to. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things. Love never fails. Now, all of us are really good at putting the signs up with 1 Corinthians 13 in our house, with our family, or maybe you put it on a sticky note on your computer at work. But we forget 1 Corinthians 13 when we encounter our enemies. What are we doing God is calling us to this same form of love for those who oppose us. And it is radical. So we could go on and on. I can explain this is, this is what the Bible says. This is how we do it. But let's get practical. All right. And, and if I haven't stepped on your toes yet, then here's the practical way that I am going to just put my finger on your toes and say, this is what Jesus says discipleship looks like as we follow him. All right. So we're going to spend, spend the rest of our time here. How? can I possibly love my enemies? Well, Jesus begins and we got to go with this first with what he says right there in Matthew five, number one, pray for them. As I said before, uh, prayer has the power, not quickly, usually, but slowly as we pray to align our will with God's will to pray and ask To God submits a need to him and in submitting a need to God we say God I don't have the answer for this I need alignment to you that's what prayer is as as well as fellowship and communion with him it is alignment it aligns us to him see if you want to have a better view of your enemies as Jesus challenged us to we've got to pray for them why because God caused the Sun to rise on your enemies and the sun to fall on both you and them. Pray that your heart would be aligned with God's. And pray for them. The Lord's Prayer says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Number two, what, how do we love our enemies? This one's tough. Give unmerited. Unmerited means unearned and undeserved forgiveness. Most of our enemies are not going to come and earn forgiveness. It's not going to happen. We are called to forgive those who wrong us. Uh, yesterday, I was, this is the practical application of how I'm living this right now. Yesterday, I was um, out in, at an event. And I saw someone that I hadn't seen in a long time. And uh, I've, I've only been here three years, so I'm just getting to where there are people around here that I haven't seen for a long time. And, and I saw them there, and in and, and seeing them, something arose in my heart. And and I would say, no matter what they perceived about our relationship, at least in my heart, this person became a bit of an enemy for me. And a few years passed in a situation I was in. I'm not going to go into it because they could see it here and I don't want to confess that they're my enemy. But uh, I I had some real life conflict with them. I was really upset with them. I I thought that they wronged me, that maybe they did. Um, I've surrendered that to the Lord. But in saying I've surrendered that to the Lord, when I saw them and I hadn't thought about them in a while, man, something arose inside of me. And and, and the battle lines were drawn in my heart. I don't even know if they saw me there or noticed me. But I could feel an anger towards them. In that moment, I I couldn't get it off my mind. I realized I hadn't fully forgiven. They weren't going to come and ask for forgiveness for what had happened. I hadn't fully forgiven. So I had to go to the Lord and say, Lord, I forgive that person. I don't feel like they deserve it. I certainly don't feel like they've earned it, but I forgive them. That's how we learn to love our enemies. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other. And here's the challenge. Just as God in Christ also forgave you, as God has forgiven us, For every sin, every wrong, the blood has washed us. Paul challenges the church of Ephesus, forgive others just like Christ forgave you. Uh, The third thing, and and this is a little different, um, this points a little more to how enemies become enemies. I think we need to recognize and avoid this thing that is called the common enemy effect. Has anyone ever heard of this, common enemy effect? Probably not. This is, this is a psychological um, topic. There's been a lot of study done around this of how people form enemies and how we do it sometimes in group think. Uh, there was a study done by the University of Texas and University of Oklahoma together. How about that? A sports rivalry doing a study together. Uh, they, they really worked things out on this enemy thing. They had done this study in 2006, and I started reading it this week, and it was really fascinating. They studied which form of human bond would be stronger. A bond that is formed over enemies and something negative? Or a bond that is formed over something that's good, just good friendship? And their study found that in most cases, people will form stronger human bonds psychologically over a common enemy... Than over a common friend. People actually bond more strongly, more quickly, even if they don't have anything else that connects them. There was, there's this Harvard trained psychologist, her name's Dr. Courtney Warren. And she says, the common enemy effect is a psychological phenomenon in which we bond with other people over a shared opponent or issue, even when there is little else in common. Has anyone ever found this? Like, you're, you meet someone and you both have an enemy. It's the same person. And you don't need to know anything about them, have any other common interest. But right there, you're like, yeah, we're close. Like, we get this together. That's what the con- common enemy effect is. And there are two common movements, I mentioned it before, that really the common enemy effect comes really strongly into. The first one is politics. We all see that. We know that if you want to start a political movement, you're probably not going to start a movement over your good policy. It's probably going to be over an enemy, a common enemy that people can get behind and say, we got to take this issue down, whichever side you're on. Uh, Politics love the common enemy effect. The other one is religion. It's sad, but it's so true. We love to grow. Over enemies. Many churches this year, I have I get emails in my inbox, and I've had so many emails about this from bigger organizations that have been cautioning churches and cautioning pastors of churches. Don't try to grow your church this year over politics. It's a short game. It's not a long game. Many pastors will stand up in their pulpit this year, and and some of them I know, and that's fine. And they will just really grow their church over speaking boldly on political issues and the enemies of political issues. That is the common enemy effect, that we could bond together over enemies. Let me remind you, Victory Church, we bond together over Jesus. Jesus is the glue that holds us, not our common enemies. Jesus is the glue. So we've got to really watch out for that. Um, we will get trapped into this dynamic where our enemies will, will not only become the known enemies, but they'll become nameless and faceless issues. People where you don't know the names involved, you don't know faces, you just know the issue and you're going to go wholeheartedly after it. That's not the heart of God. God sees names. God sees faces. They are enemies, but God loves them deeply. So that's just a friendly caution as we're in 2024. Watch out for the common enemy effect, that you wouldn't bond with others over an enemy when you don't really know clearly who the enemy is. We've got to really wage war in our heart over that. The next one, um, I got from Olivia this morning as we were talking about the sermon. I was like, Liv, what are some common enemies in your life? And she just had one thing, and she just said Comparison comparison. See, comparison creates enemies in our heart really quickly. When, when you have a desire for something in your life, maybe it's wealth, maybe it's a, a nice boat, maybe it's a nice car, and, and you're like, uh, let's just say you're in a situation where you don't have that, and you see someone else get it, An enemy can arise in your heart. Somehow, something becomes between you and another person. And you now have a common uh, enemy with everyone else who doesn't have that thing. And these people who get that, the thing that you covet, they become an enemy to you. In a little way. Maybe not in the whole box, but just a little way. That little piece will eat away at our hearts. That's what comparison does. It creates enemies that we're never supposed to be enemies because our heart is coveting something that we don't have. Maybe it's bigger than something you own. Maybe it's appearance. Maybe it's a job position. It could be anything. Comparison will kill our hearts because it creates enemies inside of us and envy will grow. So we've got to wage war on that. The, the last thing, worship team, you can come on up. We're going to close in a song. When the opportunity arises... Jesus speaks so clearly again and again through the Gospels. Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. So when the opportunity arises, here's a real practical challenge. Bless your enemies. Some of that is hard to imagine. Here's some practical ways. This is, um, I'm not tooting my horn, this is one way I've done it. If I see an enemy at a restaurant or at a coffee shop or behind me in a drive through, pay for their meal. It's a little blessing. When you have someone that you know is an enemy and you see they are in need, give to them. Maybe you have an enemy at work and you're both going after a promotion. Don't tear that enemy down in front of your supervisor. Speak life. Jesus calls us, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. So those are five quick ways. There are many more of how we love our enemies. Pray for them. Give unmerited forgiveness. Recognize and avoid the common enemy effect. Fight comparison. And when the opportunity arises, bless them. See, our gift of love to enemies is as free to them, or should be, as the work on the cross was for us. Again, unmerited by our actions, none of us did anything to deserve the forgiveness of the cross, of what Jesus did. The work that was done to make us right before God, that we could be clean, spotless, made holy. We've received the free gift. Let's give it to others. And finally this, to love our enemies, Jesus is not saying this is a test. To love our enemies is not a test of our devotion to the kingdom of God. It is the kingdom of God. Loving the people who disagree with us is what the kingdom is all about. That's what our lives in Jesus were built on. That we would love those who disagree with us who speak wrong of us, who may lie about us, betray us, who are part of movements and causes that go so wholeheartedly against what we're pursuing as disciples of Jesus. See, God loves our enemies deeply. We're called to be made like him. So as we pray the prayer that we prayed last week, Lord, give us clean hands and a pure heart. One key area is around our enemies, the people that we oppose and oppose us to say, Lord, would you give me clean hands and a pure heart as I look at my enemies, as I consider them? Lord, would you give me grace to love them? Let's stand together. Lord, that's our prayer. Would you help us to love deeply those who you love? Some of us, Lord, have a desire to control the outcome for those that we're against. Father, today I'm reminded that you cause people to rise and to fall. It's not up to us. It's yours. Scripture cautions that vengeance belongs to God. Justice will be served for our enemies. Our call is not to execute justice but to love deeply as Jesus loved. So Lord, we ask that you would give us grace in this area. Jesus, we thank you for your teaching here. Thank you that you challenged us to go beyond our natural comprehension and to consider what love would look like for a perfect, holy God. Lord, we want hearts that are in alignment to you. We love you, Jesus. As we close in prayer, if you have a prayer need, whether it's around this topic or not, the prayer team will be up here and we're just going to sing a song and then we will close. Let's have hearts that are surrendered to the Lord, listening for what he wants to do as we sing together.
0: your breath in our life.
1: love your enemy, the good news is you're not going at it alone. And when you receive the gift of Jesus, there's an opportunity that we would be filled with the Holy spirit inside of us. The Holy Spirit is the helper. Jesus sent him to come to fill us. When we receive him, he fills us and we can receive even more. But here's the good news. He's here to help us love our enemies. It's not something that we do in our own strength not something we work up the courage to do. No, it's by his grace, by his kindness that we love those who are challenging to love. So Lord, we just thank you for your goodness and your mercy. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that helps us. Holy Spirit, I ask that even this week, even today as we encounter those that um, anger us, that we disagree with, usually righteously, (laughs) at least in my own heart, Lord, I ask that you would help us to respond with the love that you loved us with. Lord, thank you that while we were far off, while we were your enemies, you died for us. Lord, would that motivate our hearts to love those that we disagree with? Jesus, we love you. We bless you. Thank you that we live in a land where we can come together and freely worship you. Lord, we ask that your name would be honored and glorified and lifted high in our lives as we worship you and live for you this week. And all of God's people say together, amen, amen. Be blessed. Have a great week. Don't forget to head down to the community center for walking tacos. Uh, Have an awesome time, and we will see you guys next week.